We're going to look for a few minutes, uh, try to get situated here just a little bit. We're going to be looking tonight over in the book in the Old Testament, Joshua. We're going to be looking in the book of Joshua tonight in chapter 1. We're going to look at the first nine verses of Joshua. And tonight we're going to look at this title, Don't Stay on This Side of the River. You can't stay on this side of that river. You've got the reading of the word, Joshua chapter 1. If you'd stand for the reading of the word, if you don't, I, I, that's, I do that anyway. Verse 1 says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead now, therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give them even to the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your feet shall tread upon that have I given you. As I said unto Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon unto the great river, the river Euphrates and all the land of the Hittites and unto the utter, uh, to, uh, unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. And he says it again, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whither so thou ever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do the things that all that are written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. In verse 9, have not I commanded thee, he's going to tell him again, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee wheresoever thou goest. Don't stay on this side of the river. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that, Lord, there is so much that you have made available to us tonight. Lord, just as you made available, Lord, the promises that you had given these people. And God, they were able to step into it not because of who they were, but because of who you are. God, there's places tonight you want to move in each and every life. There is victories, Lord. There is triumphs. There is revival. There is spiritual breakthrough. There is great and mighty things that you want to do. But Lord, we can't achieve it where we're standing at this moment. We've got to step into what you've given us and called us to. And God, I pray that tonight when this altar opens up that you would have us step out into that place where we would start seeing a great mighty move of God that, Lord, would transform our lives from this day and forevermore. You move, Holy Spirit, you speak, and God, you do the work you want to do, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray, and everybody says, amen. By the way, thank you, Pastor Jarvis. Thank you, Brother Seth. i tell you what, Seth, when, when, whenever I have uh, uh, situations that I need somebody to preach, I, I call Seth, and if I give him five-minute notice, he'll be there. 
and uh, I appreciate that so much. He's a, he's a wonderful young man, and I was just so privileged to have him and so many of these others in, uh, in the youth group, and I'm so excited to hear what happened Wednesday night. I pray the Lord just keeps, that's revival, ain't it? Amen. Amen. So God, keep it coming. Don't stay on this side of the river. You know, before we even get into this, you got to realize that these, these people had spent 40 years going through the desert for something that God had gave them that they, didn't, they could walk straight into. God had already designed and planned, put their name on the title of that promised land. It was theirs. And they could have stepped in that, into that within a couple of weeks, but yet they spent their 40 years, and in fact, the whole generation, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, passed away in the desert. Why? Because they didn't step into what God had called them to do and what God had already given them because they were looking at themselves instead of looking at the God who had given it to them. And so when we look at that, I just want to encourage you. There is places in our, I look at our nation and I see a church that's anemic. I see a church that needs revival. Thank God for what's been going on at Asbury. Thank God for the good news that we've been getting about revival. But I want to see it farther and spread out in their churches and that we see revival, that people are calling out on God and the spirit of God moves. And when we, we don't have to have surgeries because we come into the house of God and we put our hands on people and they're raised and they're healed and we see people speaking in tongues and field and we see sin being pushed back and all these things God wants to do. But you look at me and you may say to me, well, that's, not, that's old times. That's things from the past. Boy, things are different now. No, let me tell you something. If the church becomes what God called it to be, it happened today. God has given us things that if we'll step into them, and in your life, only you know what God's been calling you to do. There's things that God might have been trying to draw you closer. And there's been things that maybe kept you from receiving what God's got for you. I pray tonight that with myself and everybody in this service or anybody even watching that we step across that river and we get to what God has called us to do. Tonight we're gonna look at, we're gonna look at five giants, five giants that will keep you on this side of the river. Five giants that'll keep you looking at it from a distance but never achieving what God has called you to do. The first one we're gonna look at, if you don't, when you, when you, when he faced this and so will we, you can face the giant of confidence. Maybe I should say, or the lack of it. You see, it says here in verse one, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, Go over this Jordan, now and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. You see, Joshua, you've got to imagine the role that he's in. It's one thing when you're the number two guy, and all you're doing is you are getting the command from the person in charge who's hearing from God, and you just obey it, and you already know God's going to take care of it. But now his role has changed. Moses is gone. These millions that's fallen behind him is looking at him to lead and God has put his finger on him and he's telling him it's now your turn. Now things have changed a little bit. Let me, let me tell you something. You, you notice that I uh, accented a few times in just in this chapter. I read to you three times. God made sure that Joshua, before he crossed that river, he gave him one command over and over and over. He had a point he was making to him. But it's not limited to Joshua chapter one. I think Deuteronomy, for the sake of time, I won't read it. 
But in Deuteronomy, I think 31, three times while Moses was still living at the very end, he, God gave a message to Moses. He says, you tell Joshua to do one thing. And he told him three times, you just be strong and courageous. Three times. Moses is gone. First chapter of Joshua. God comes to Joshua and says, you need to do what I've told you to do. Only all I'm asking you to do, be strong and courageous. Three more times. That's six. If you go on into like verse 18, you're going to see that the people said the exact same thing to him. Joshua, we're going to follow you to the ends of the earth. Wherever you tell us to go, we will go. Only one thing we're asking you to do, be strong and courageous. He's giving him a message. Now that word, be strong there, is not talking about an inward strength. Sometimes we put on and act like we're pretty strong. We can get through some things, but we, we realize pretty quickly, especially when you get older, you start realizing you don't have the strength you used to. But he's not telling Joshua, you need to just muster up and pull up your own strength and let's get it going. It's an outward strength that that word means. It's strength that comes from without. He's talking about you need to put on my strength. You need to put on my strength and that's the strength you're gonna need when you cross this river because you're facing a challenge that's much bigger than you. Let me tell you why it's even harder than it ever was. So we know that he was the one, one of the two that went across his 12 spots and they went across and they were like, we can do this. They seen the giants. They seen all the things God had told them and they came back with a good report and they said, we can do it. We can do it. Why, why was their report different than the rest of them? Because the rest of the 10 spies, when they got to the face of the giant, that's as far up as they looked. When they seen how big those giants were, their knees started knocking, they stopped. Joshua and Caleb did something very different and I encourage you to do this in your trial. Don't stop at the problem, but keep looking above the problem until you see the problem solver. They looked at God and they said, well, you, you know what? Giants were grasshoppers to you, but <laughs> I see a God that you're giant, you giants are a bunch of grasshoppers to my God. They had faith. That's 40 years later though. Joshua was most likely 82 years old at this point. Now, what is it about God using all these older people? Wait until he get, he waited until Abraham was old, used him, gave him his promise. He waited until Moses was 80 years old, then he could use him. And now, Joshua was perfect for using. He's 82. You know why sometimes we can realize, and so some of you older people don't get off the hook when I tell you this. God waits until we get to that place where we can't do it ourselves for sure. When I was younger, I might have tried something to myself. I can't now, so I know, God, if I do it, you gotta help me. You gotta be the one to help me and that's what he is encouraging him today. He's encouraging him with because he probably is struggling with confidence that he might have had before. Why is God encouraging him with all these, you can do it, stand strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Why? I'm gonna go with you. I'm not gonna fail you. Sometimes in your own self, you don't have the confidence. You know why? You've prayed before. You've come up and asked God to do some things and you didn't see change happen. So you've lost your confidence. Well, God must not want to do anything in my life. Well, let me tell you something. There's an enemy that we face and everything he's going to do is going to try to keep you from experience the best that God has. And one of the things he's going to do is keep your eyes upon you and your weaknesses and your deficiencies and you're going to miss out on the things that God, you come before God and say, God, I can't do it. Lord, I don't even know how to hunger for revival. But God, you put a hunger in me so that I know how to hunger for revival. And God, you get me to stay in an altar until you touch me and I'll guarantee you God will move. God will start doing some things in your life. We face a giant, a giant of confidence. 
We can't do it in our strength. You know, we face other giants. Number two, you will face a giant of complacency. Complacency. This is the way it's always been. This is just the way we do church. This is just the way we have altar served. This is just the way God responds at our church. It says in verse two, Moses, my servant is dead, and therefore arise, go over this Jordan now and all this people unto the land that I do give them, even the children of Israel. And I guarantee you, there was people that was sitting there and saying, I'm pretty comfortable where I am right now. We've been out here for 40 years and I've gotten to where I'm okay because when they look across the river, they see some things that they're gonna face when they get on the other side of that river and they've gotten to where they've gotten used to it. Well, God feeds us over here. Well, well, God moves and speaks to us over here. God speaks to us. We, we, have a little, we have a little moves of God. I felt goosebumps last Sunday night in the service. I'm, we, I, why, am I, why am I wanting to go across? The, we get complacent. We get to the place where we just say, well, this is just the way it is. And it's never gonna change. I remember when I used to be in bus ministry, I would have big dreams of, of moving forward and, and, and filling those buses up. And then some of the, there's a couple of older ones that would come and say, no, that's just not the way it happens anymore. You can't, you can't do that. You can't, people won't come anymore. I'll tell you what, it sucked the life right out of me. <laughs> I was struggling. But you can't get complacent because God's got more for you than you want from him. You see, you, let me tell you something. This is, I believe this statement. You've got all of God you want right now. You've got all of God that you want right now. Because God says, if you'll open up some more, if you'll empty yourself, if you'll get hungry, if you'll get up early and start seeking my face, if you'll start calling out on me, I'll fill that void. I'll fill that void. But we live in a time when we're complacent. The church has got to be where we just go through motions. I'm not talking about this church. I'm not just talking about my church. I'm just talking about the church of America. The reason that we're seeing darkness come in. The reason we're seeing all these things being accepted in our churches and things that we used to say a sin is now being celebrated is because the church has become complacent. We have allowed the, the world to tell us what to believe. And it's gonna get worse before it gets better. And the only thing that's gonna make an impact on this nation, when the church says, no more, no more, I can't go this way anymore. I've gotta see revival in my church. My family's gotta have revival. I've gotta see God move. I wanna see God come down and move again. I wanna see God do some mighty works again that people that are sin will be set free. People we're praying for won't be able to resist but will come in and be gloriously saved. That you don't have to worry about trying to keep them pinned in when you get them, but they come in and they get such an exchange and just, a, just an experience with God. I remember the night that I got saved, it was about right over here in the old altar, I can tell you right now. It was I'd run for God for so many years, and done so many things I shouldn't do, but let me tell you something, there's one thing I can tell you for sure. The moment God saved me, he did such a transformation in my life that very minute, I never doubted it again. Never doubted. He touched, it's like rain come over the top. I, it's, I think it's because I was such a vile creature. He had to do some extra cleaning. And it's, I felt the rain, it seemed like, hit me on top of the head and it just flushed down my entire body. And when I got up, I felt as white and clean and pure and changed. I couldn't wait to tell my parents what God had done. And we can't get complacent and say, well, God, don't do that anymore. God just makes you feel good, come up, get down, say a few things, you're saved. No, God wants to let you leave here knowing you're saved. We don't need to be complacent. 
We don't need to be complacent. The enemy uses complacency and he uses it as worship. When you are complacent with God, he laughs because he has stolen from you. Do you realize the enemy is in the possession that God has given you? There's things that we let him have. He takes from us and yet we accept it. And we're going to get into that. You know, Lot's wife becomes so complacent that even when destruction was coming, her heart was so bound to Sodom that even when the angel says, don't look back, destruction's coming, you've got to get out. Her heart was so complacent, so bound to that world that she couldn't do it. And she looked back and it cost her everything. We can't be complacent and walk into the victory, the, the, the power that God and the, the revival that God wants to work in our life. It won't happen. Number three, you face other giants. The next one is conflict. The, the giant of conflict that every time you make a move toward the things of God, the enemy will try to shove you back. You ever experienced that? You decided you was gonna get in some more prayer time this week and you'll get sick. You, you'll have your car break down and you gotta get up an hour early to go do something. There'll be something, you know, fill in the blank. But anytime you make a move, you need to know this, plan this into your schedule. I'm gonna make a move toward God and you need to realize there's gonna be opposition. And when it happens, you can't give up and say, devil, I'm gonna make it happen. I'm gonna do it no matter what. I'll spend twice the time that I was gonna be for because he's gonna do everything he can to push you back. You see, you have an enemy. You have an enemy who hates you because you represent everything he can. He's lost his hope but you have it, and if he can hurt you, he thinks he can hurt God, and he wants to steal your hope, and he will do everything in his power to keep you from making a move toward God. Victory is on the other side of that river. It's gonna cost you something. It's gonna take some investment. It's gonna take a hunger. It's gonna take a move toward the things of God. Let me tell you something. Isn't the definition of insanity continue doing the things the same way you've always done them, expecting a different result? Don't work. You do it the same way you've always done it, you're gonna get the same results. If we want more from God, we gotta change. And we can't do it in ourselves. I'm not telling you to do it in yourself. I'm saying, God, help me. God, give me a hunger. You know, let me tell you something. Uh, this week, I was praying some here, getting ready, for, particularly for this service. And, and I was spent some time, oh, I, I, this, this church, there is so many memories and times that God met me right here. It was just, I feel unworthy because it, I feel like he's just been so faithful and good to me. Not only could I come over here and say, Lord, you, you turn my life upside down right there. And I never look back, but I'm able to say, Lord, you met me right here and then tell him what you did. You, you helped me right there. Lord, you sent someone right back there to whisper something in my ear, which was an exact answer to prayer. You had someone stand up and give a, 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 a word in the spirit and the moment they stood up, the hair stood back on my neck and I felt the Lord saying to me, this is for you. And I was like, this is for me? And, and I was, that's for you. I didn't even know what was being said until the interpretation come and then all of a sudden I couldn't do anything but weep. Why? Because God met me. God was good to me. Let me tell you something, that's not isolated. That's not, God wants to do that every service. He doesn't just pick a few and say, well, you're special. No, I'm not special. If there's anybody he should run from, it would have been me. But God's looking for people that wants him to do something. And he'll do it if we'll just cross that river. 
You see, the enemy is satisfied with us talking about it. He's okay with me preaching about it. He's okay with putting up posters and all kinds of stuff, thinking about it, but just don't do it. Just plan it. Just feel good about it. Go out tonight after service, get you something to eat and forget about it and pick it back up next week. He's satisfied with that. It's kind of like your Bible. He's satisfied you having one, just don't read it. We face conflict, don't we? We face conflict. Let me tell you something. We face an enemy that's trying to push us back. Verse four says, from the wilderness, this God tells us, this is so, so wondrous. We're gonna pick this up in our last point a little more. But he tells them that what he's given them from the wilderness in Lebanon unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea toward the going down the sun shall be your coast. And, but the thing is, is when they look across at all God's promised them, there's giants, there's walled cities, there's, there is experienced warriors waiting to battle them. They got a conflict. When you move toward God, you'll have a conflict. You know, I don't think Brother Jar didn't ask him. I should have. But there was, there was something out when I was on the board that came up. And this, this is my illustration I give our church. Just use it recently. When you try to do anything for God or step up, opposition. I remember a board meeting, and I think it might have been Brother Jarvis, who has a very huge heart when it comes to missions. We all know that. Look at the back wall. And the church was going well, and finances were coming in pretty good. And there was a decision that was made in the board meeting that got brought up and said, we give, and so maybe you all don't know this, but most of you do, that 10% of all the money that comes in the offering that you're using to tithe into the church, the church, I'm sure it still does it, tithes 10% of that, they put it over in a mission fund. So that goes out and then everybody else adds more to it and that's the missions program. Well, there was a heart and desire, let's do more. Let's move from 10 to 15, 50% more. Well, we's all in on, yeah, sounds great. Do it, we all voted, unanimous vote. Buddy, I tell you what, we come back to the next meeting and the story had changed. Ever since that motion had been made and that move toward doing more to outreach to people in this world, it was, there was a challenge in our finances. There was a challenge in the finances of the church that was a little scary. And there was a decision made and had to make, do we continue on course? Even though the math didn't work out, the resolve was move forward. And after months, I know God worked it all out and just fixed this situation. It wasn't easy. What happened? Was that a coincidence? I mean, isn't that just a crazy coincidence? No, that's the enemy. That's those giants of conflict will come against you to keep you out of this altar. That will keep you from crying out to God to do more. That will keep you from saying, God, I want you to give me all that you've given me. I want to have all the victory. I want to step into everything that you've called me to do. That enemy's gonna try to push us back. Let me, let, before I get up this point, listen, this is one, this, this story from David, I love this story. David is, 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 has his 400 men or whatever they are and, and they're, they're in turmoil. They, they're going to fight a battle and, and, the, and the king sends them back, we know. He sends them back in 1 Samuel, back because some of the people, the Philistines say, well, they're gonna get into battle and they're gonna turn on us and David's gonna try to get lined back out with Saul and he's gonna use our heads 
as the collateral to do it. And so the king said, you've done me no wrong, but go on back home. And when they go back to Ziklag, a few days journey, what they find was devastating. Every single thing that God had given them was gone. Their wives, their children, their livestock, their possessions, and what was left they burned. Well, it was devastating. These men were crying, so was David. I mean, he lost it all. This is the blessings of God. The enemy just took everything that was ours. God, what are we supposed to do? And it says that the men, without reading it all, the men were so upset with David, David's grieving himself, but he hears the roar that they're gonna wanna kill, they're trying to kill him. They're gonna try to kill him because he's responsible. His response to me has been such such an encouragement in my life when I face trouble. Man, what a, no wonder God chose him and said a man after my own heart, even though he had a lot of flaws. But here's what it said in verse six. And David was greatly distressed of 1 Samuel 30. For the peoples spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people is grieved in every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. David in the midst of his anguish. Instead of saying, why me, Lord? He got down and in worship, he encouraged his soul. How did he do that? He said, God, you've never failed. He doesn't tell us, but I know what he did. Lord, you've never failed me ever before and I know you're not gonna do it again. Lord, I know that every time that it looks like the end for me because I can't do anything, you have a way that you come through and Lord, I'm encouraged in you because you're bigger than the enemy that just come against us. And it says that he, that he, verse seven, and David said to Abathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me here to the ephod. And Abathar brought hither the ephod of David. And David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And what did God answer him? Praise the God that was this answer. Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them. Oh, I love this part. And when thou fail, recover all. You ain't gonna lose one thing. And in fact, when you get to the other end of the story, he don't just come back with his stuff. He comes back with all their stuff too. He can't even count all the stuff. He's giving it away. He doesn't need, he's got more than he knows what to do. Why? Because he come to God and he put his faith. And when the enemy tried to take away what God had given him, instead of sitting back and say, woe is me, he said, God, what shall I do? I'm calling out on you. The enemy has taken something that's yours. And God said, pursue and I will help you. I go before you. God slowed him down. God gave him great victory that day. In our lives, God's no different. You think God, God's not a respected person. He doesn't love David more than he does you. We just don't ask him. We just don't trust him. Number four, I gotta hurry. Number four, we've got some giants we're facing and there might be some giants you face tomorrow. This one is important. Number four, they're all important. You will face the giant of compromise. Compromise. Have we seen any compromising going on in the generation that we're living in? It's a scary thing. It says in verse seven, you know, he told him seven times, only be strong and courageous. This one time, it's a little bit different. Here's what it says. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe 
to do all according to uh, do, do according to all the law which Moses thy servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper wheresoever thou goest. He's saying, Joshua, let me tell you something. You're going to get across that river and there is going to be something. You're going to face some things where you're going to be tempted. There is going to be people trying to compromise. And in fact, if you go back to the end of Deuteronomy, you're going to see that before God took Moses, he told them that was what's going to happen. There's going to be compromise. I'm going to deliver these people and I'm going to fulfill. Let me tell you something. There's one thing you can take to the bank. God always does what he says he's going to do. He will always do what he said he's going to do. He says, I'm going to give them exactly what I promised. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and now Joshua and these people. I'm going to fulfill what I told them I was going to do. But you need to warn them because when they get over there, they're going to be in all this victory and they're going to have everything that they ever dreamed of and they're going to start turning toward the gods of this land. And if they do, I'll have to pull back my hand. I'll have to bring judgment upon these people. And he had Moses re rehearse it in their ears. And they said, oh, we won't do it. Joshua, you've got to be very courageous because the temptation is to compromise. What's he want him to compromise? And warning him, don't compromise the word of God. The same word. It's just as Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't have to have a new translation for this century because the same word that applied to those in the first century applies to us today. This word has power. Why do you think since the 60s? There, in my life, I've never seen anything greater than this one thing, the attack on the word of God. When you have Supreme Court justices that removes the Ten Commandments and their justification, boy, I lost a lot of faith when I heard about this originally, that they would say, the reason we're taking it down is because people, if we put it up, people think that if they read it, they have to do it. I'm paraphrasing. Buddy, how in the world could you want to do any more for the, if the people of this nation could again get those Ten Commandments and learn to follow those? I'll tell you what, there wouldn't be half, to, be half the law enforcement. There wouldn't be this support the blue because there wouldn't be a need for all the blue because God's people it knows that the word of God is power and the enemy is doing everything he can to keep you from taking advantage of what this word says. You see, in this word, there's promises to you. In this word, there is life to you. And the enemy wants to steal that from you. He wants to keep it out of your mind. He wants to keep it out of your heart. He doesn't want you to teach it to your children. He wants to get it out of the public arena. He wants to, let me tell you what it says in his way. Let's give you his translation. But let me tell you something. How do we know that the enemy is so torp about the word of God? How did he defeat Eve? How did he defeat Eve? He come to her as a serpent and he said, did God really say that you can't eat of all the fruit of this garden? He planted doubt in her mind. He caused her to think, well, maybe God didn't. Maybe I can do this. And he defeated her. And we're still suffering from that today. He didn't stop there. The son of God who hadn't ate in 40 days was in the wilderness and the enemy Satan himself came to, to try to deceive him. And what did he use to try to defeat Jesus Christ? He tried to manipulate the word of God. But boy, did he meet his match because that was the living word of God. 
And in fact, not only was he not able to do anything to him, but Jesus took the true word of God and he leveled him with it three different times. He gave him three punches, but the word of God says this, Satan. The word of God says this, Satan. And on that third punch, it says the enemy had to flee for a period of time. He'd had enough licks. He couldn't take it anymore. Why? He fears. He fears the word of God that he's given us. We've got to realize that we are facing a time, a generation that wants us to think that we can have church and we can just leave the things we don't want to do and just do a few things that we think that we like to do and God's going to be happy and we're going to step into revival. Woohoo! But that's not what the word of God says. We need to make this the compass of our lives. Every step you take, Everything you do, every decision you make ought to be centered on one thing and one thing only. Is it in the word of God? Is that what God wants me to do? Because he will give you victory. He will give you victory. Before I give my last point, I was reading this week a little article on that Asbury and an interview that was given and it was talking about the origin. You all probably know this, but I was trying to figure out what, how, what happened. How did it get started? And someone did an interview and, and they said that after one of the chapel services, and somebody correct me later if I'm wrong, but uh, after one of the chapel services, that's really close, um, there was a group that stayed behind. He brought this and I didn't drink a drop. Hang on. I'll never forget your Kool-Aid incident. For all you all know about that, if you don't, ask me later. So I was reading and there was a little, there was a group that stayed behind after the chapel service was over. And in that chapel service, there was some that lingered behind that, I guess, a hunger for God. And when they were sitting around talking, one of the boys had been participating in some things that he knew wasn't right. And he just started confessing. Let me tell you what I'm doing. And that spirit of honesty and that humility before God in front of others I understand that there was something come stirring in that room when people says, I don't want to compromise anymore. I don't want to think that I can pick up these things and do all these things and that God's going to bless me with revival. God's going to bring me and use me and let me become what he wants me to be. But this person said, no, I can't take that anymore. I want to be set free. That I want all God's got for me and I want God to help me. And when that honesty came forth, all of a sudden for two or three weeks, we see that people are coming from everywhere to get in the presence of God. And it started with one young man who would be honest before God and say, I'm not what I should be. I've compromised, Lord. Help me. Here's the last one. There's more, I'm sure. And all these, of course, are seas, but they faced a giant after they got on the other side that concerns me about as much as any of them. They faced a giant of contentment. What are you talking about? He told them, this is God. And he didn't, and when the word of God is every single word is there for a reason and a purpose. God didn't just say, step across and take that land and wherever you step is yours. No, he told them what was theirs. He told them, I've already had, and I'm paraphrasing, I've already got the deed out and I've already wrote your name, it's yours. All you've got to do is quit talking about it Quit thinking about it and step across that river and take it. Here's what he said in verse three. Every place 
that the sole of your foot shall tread upon. But he didn't stop there. That have I given. That's a past tense. I've already done it. It's already yours. I've given it to you, as I said unto Moses. Verse four, he gives them a map from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. All you gotta do is step into it and take it. I'm not gonna leave you or forsake you. I go before you. I'll be with you. I'll surround you. I will drive them back. I will plant your flag. I'm gonna be right there because I'm your God and I've already given it to you. Let me tell you something. When God says it's a done deal, it's a done deal. If God says you're healed, you're healed. If God says, I'm gonna do something great and mighty in your life, you can just take it to the bank. He'll do it. You know, just real quick, there's this, there's this one verse that kind of points that, you know, in the, in the New Testament, Jesus, before he ever ascended, he's getting ready to tell him to go to the upper room and just tarry there and all this stuff. And there's a verse, and I took it out because I was trying to save time, but I just, it's, I gotta throw it in. He says to them, and he tells them what is this call on them, and he says, and he breathed on them that pneuma, that breath, and he said, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, why didn't they speak in tongues right then? Did Jesus not have the power to do that? Well, we, all, we know scripture says that I have to go before the Holy Spirit comes. We know that. But let me tell you something else. It was as good as theirs. Their name was written. That Holy Spirit was already given to them. They possessed it just as if it was in the bank already. But they had to do one thing to get it. They had to get in that upper room. They had to get across that river. They had to get past that place where Jesus is no longer there and where they still do what he told them to do. And when they got in the upper room and he said, Terry there, don't you do anything. Don't you, Peter, don't do it. Get in there. And 10 days later, that spirit blew. But that spirit was not just theirs 10 days later. It was there the moment Jesus, oh, be filled. There's things in your life tonight, it's already yours. He's already given it to you. He doesn't one scripture say, hey, if, if, if evil men can do great things, and I'm paraphrasing, for their children, how much more will I give the Holy Spirit to you? I'm paraphrasing. We see there that he gave them this great map that was theirs. All they had to do was step into it. Here's what troubles me. When you... Someone had took this map and when you lay it out, I looked at this from several different sources and I kept getting the same number. When you look at what God said was theirs, all these lands on a map and look at the surface area, it's 300,000 miles. All they had to do was plant their feet, walk and say, this is mine. But something happened. They got victory. They went across the river and the giants was put down and the people were pushed out and they took everything that God had said and they got across the river and they got them a little place, a little shack and they got them a little piece of land and they was, you know, they've been used to the desert so now they got them a few acres and they're satisfied because God, but God told them he gave them all that, 300,000. I got looking, okay, how much did they get? What did they actually step into? 
in the hearth of Israel when Solomon was king. When you look at the territory that they, they had at that time, it was only 30,000 square miles. That's 10% of what God had promised them. What happened? They become content. We get in a revival and we get in there and we feel a few goosebumps and we get in a service and we get down for five minutes and God does a few things and we're like, whoo, I'm so glad we've had revival. And then we miss the next night. We get content when we think that one little experience was God is all he's got for us. When God said, that was just the entry. That was just the stepping through the door. I've got so much more for you. What are you doing giving up? Don't you plant your stake there. That's not where I called you to be. You know, this gets worse. I promise, I promise I'm closing. I got looking what they have right now. Do you know how much land Israel is on right now? 6,800 square miles. 2.75% of what God had already gave them. See, from God's map, their name's on it. But the enemy is standing what God gave them. You know, I look at that and that's a shame. But in the spiritual realm that we live in, how much territory is the enemy possession right now that God has given you? I was praying tonight before the service. I was praying, God, don't let that be me. God, don't let me miss what you've got for me. God, Lord, you give me everything you've got. Help me to get to everything you've got. Lord, don't let me be satisfied where I am. But God, you do whatever you want to do in my life. Lord, don't let me be content. Don't let me be content. God wants to do so much more, doesn't he? God wants to bring revival. God wants to bring down strongholds. You know, I was thinking, and this is my last comment before we pray. I was thinking if there was to be tears in heaven, you know what it would be in my opinion? It would be when we get there and we see not just what God did, but what he planned on doing. When we see all that we left on the table, and here's what troubled me worse. What could be God trying to do in my life or your life that some of those that we have been weeping for and saying, God, bring them in and all these things. What is it that God's called you to do that if you stepped into all that God has called you to be, that their life might be reached and without it, that they may not go into eternity saved. I'm thinking how horrible that would be. I want all God has for me. I want to have revival. I want what happened here over a hundred years ago happen again. A revival that comes out of here that we don't, we're not worried about publicity and stuff. I would love to see God moving and people wailing and you can't get them out of here and the, and the doors is open 24 hours a day and God has his way in lives that as soon as they come through the door, something grips hearts and people can't make it through the door without falling to their knees. People are drawn like they have been. You look at revival in the past and what happened? There's a few people that got hungry for God and they started calling out on God. People got tired of what they were seeing. Sin. They started calling out on God. Lord, you gotta bring revival. You gotta do something. And God answers. Boy, it's amazing, isn't it? How we get hungry and God feels. And God moves. Tonight, 
Don't stay on this side of the river. Don't be satisfied where we are when God has so much more. Would you stand tonight? Oh, God. Lord, you know what you want to do, God. We know that, God, that you want to do so much more in the generation that we live than, God, we're seeing. God, you're greater. Your power has no limit, God. The enemy, Lord, is winning battle after battle because, Lord, people are satisfied, complacent, compromised. Oh, Lord, push back with conflict. And no, they don't have confidence. God, I pray that right now, that God, that you would break down every stronghold, that there wouldn't be one thing that would keep people from seeking your face. That Lord, they would be something that would change from the inside out. That God, the resolve in hearts would be no more. I'm gonna get across that river so that God can do what he wants to do. If you keep your head bowed just for a minute, you may be here tonight and you say, that's me. God's drawing me. Listen, God resonated to me while he was preaching tonight and I, I feel in my heart that I want more than I've been seeing. I, I want to see God do much more than he's ever done in my life. And some of these giants maybe has been holding me back, but no more. Uh, no more. No more. I got to touch God. And if God will help me, if God will be the one who gives me that strength and that courage, I'll be what he wants me to be. I'll step out. I'll call on him. I want him to have, is that you tonight? Is that you? You want more from God. God's saying, I want more out of you. And God wants to bring victory. Is that you tonight? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, this altar tonight is open up for those who will come and will stand here across this church or kneel at this altar and will say, God, right here, I plant my, I want to cross that river, Lord. As I'm walking, I'm crossing the river. And God, I want you to give me all that you've caught for me. Lord, I don't want anybody to possess the land that you've given me. I want to see what you can do in my life. God, do it. Have your way. Meet us in this altar. God, speak and stir and deliver. And God, that you would encourage that, Lord, there would be a hunger like never before, that you would stir. And God, that you would do the miraculous in hearts and lives. God, all these young people, God, they would see a revival they've never seen. Oh, God, that your spirit would be poured out in such a way. Almighty God, that you would do the impossible. Oh, Lord, that you would do what people say can't happen anymore. Because, God, you're available. God, you're great. God, you're, you'll do it, Lord. God, but you'll do it to those that are hungry and seeking and crying out and hungry for you. Do it, Lord. God, draw us. Oh, Lord, don't let us stay where we are. But, God, let us get to that place you've called us. Let us get to that place, almighty God, that, Lord, you want us, Lord. That, God, that you can use us. And, God, that there would be nothing to hold us back. There would be no enemy strong enough to push us back. That, oh, God, that you would bring great revival. You would bring great hunger. You would bring great power upon the lives and the hearts of these people today. And, God, start in this preacher. God, that you would do it in me. God, don't let me be satisfied. Don't let me, Lord, just go through the motions. But God, give a heart, Lord, a hunger like never before. Almighty God, we need to see you move. God, we've got a lost generation. They've got to see the truth. They've got to see your power. They've got to see something greater than the problems they're facing. They've got to see victory is ahead of them. They've got to see a deliverance. Oh, God, they can't keep going the way they are. Lord, they need something real. 
And God, we know that's what you want to do. God, in each and every life, fill, overflow, move with your presence, oh God. Move with your power. God, that you would flow in these altars. God, that, Lord, there would be a true hunger. God, there would be a true desire. And God, we would seek your face and find a holy God that's powerful and mighty and glorious. Almighty God, that, Lord, you would stir, let your wind blow through this place tonight, Lord, and move with your power in each and every heart. God, you see each and every heart, Lord.